Well, hey there. Welcome back to Something About Pineapples. Um, today we're going to be finishing The Hunger Games. Finally, I feel like I feel like this has kind of taken a very long time, which is kind of my own fault. Uh, so we're going to talk about the last part of The Hunger Games. And I also kind of have an exciting announcement that's not that exciting, but I feel the need to hype myself up about it. So let's get started. Before we get into this, I just want to say it's kind of windy outside, so I'm sorry if you can hear that in the background. So, we start out with PETA going, or Katniss, I'm sorry, Katniss going to find PETA after finding that, after Claudius Temple Smith saying that there can be two victors so long as they hail from the same district. And so she goes to find PETA because she herself would probably hate any tribute from her district who didn't immediately try to find his or her partner. She also decides that they really need to keep the Star-Crossed Lovers Act up to keep the Capitol people rooting for them. She kind of takes stock of her other tributes that are remaining, recognizing Thresh, Cato, and the girl from District 2 as her biggest threats, particularly Cato and the girl from District 2, since they still will benefit from the two-tribute survival rule. And she decides that Foxface probably won't come after her, but will hope that someone else kills Katniss while she hides. So Katniss heads toward the stream to find Peeta, and she discovers a boulder streaked with blood, and she basically follows the trail until she finds Peeta. He has disguised himself in the rock because of his epic painting skills and he is completely camouflaged um she starts to take care of him but she's not as good of a, as a he, he's she's not as good of a healer as her mother and sister are so he's slow to get better and he's really really messed up which could be a problem you know we don't want him to die <laughs> Because then Katniss would be all alone. And she also kind of realizes that Haymitch will send her more gifts if she plays up the act of being in love with Peta. So for this, it's all an act for her. She just wants sponsors, essentially. And so she's just laying it on thick with the whole in love thing. And she recognizes how good he is at it and then we move on to chapter 20 um so they get broth they get some food and Katniss is able to get Peter to drink some once again laying on the whole in love thing pretty thick and then <laughs> they spend the next day in the cave flirting basically um Katniss maintains that act for the audience's sake and for her own survival's sake Peter can tell that Katniss hasn't slept, so she falls asleep as he keeps watch. And when she wakes up, Peter's much worse, and there are indications of blood poisoning, which is pretty fatal. And so Peter wants to hear a story, and Katniss is like, well, 
okay, this might be able to get us some sponsors. Let's do it. So she tells a fake story about how Katniss got Prim's goat lady. Um, she had to fabricate the story because, you know, she couldn't exactly just tell the Capitol people that she was breaking the law to go kill a buck in the woods and sell it in order to get the goat. So she makes up a story about how she got the goat. PETA, he just continues to get worse. His fever starts rising, and you can just tell that he's getting increasingly worse. When Katniss hears the trumpet, followed by another announcement from Claudius Templesmith, he explains that at this point in the game, all the tributes need something desperately, and that they will find them at the cornucopia the next day at dawn. Peta is very insistent that Katniss should not go and that she shouldn't risk her life for his and she lies saying that she won't. Haymitch um, sends some sleep syrup to give to Peta so that he falls asleep and she can go to the cornucopia. Something that's interesting to me is how we don't see Peta's perspective this entire time. We're only getting Katniss's. And to her, this is all an act. The whole in love thing is all an act just so that they can survive the games. And I think, if anything, she's looking forward to seeing Gale when she gets back. But we don't know, you know, what Peta's thinking during this time. Is he actually in love? Who knows? Um, this chapter also shows us how Katniss is very much a protector of others. Um, she changed the goat story to protect herself and Gale. Gale could have gotten in a lot of trouble from that. And so she's, she's very good at protecting others and masking any emotions that she thinks will make her come off as weak to the capital people. So that she can still get sponsors and survive that's a pretty big goal um Katniss works really hard to camouflage the cave because she doesn't want Kato coming in finishing off Peta while she's gone at the cornucopia because Peta won't stand a chance <laughs> he'll be asleep and very very sickly the game makers are also demonstrating their power more by adjusting the temperature in the arena a lot by making the days very hot and the nights freezing. She thinks a lot about Gale and Prim during this time. Um, and then she sets out to make her way to the cornucopia. And she puts herself in the bushes and she waits. And she can see the backpacks on the table at the cornucopia. And at the first glint of sunlight, it rises from the ground of the table and Foxface immediately leaps for the cornucopia grabs her bags and is off before Katniss even knows that she was there um so Katniss goes and she hears a knife approaching from her right as you know being thrown and she knocks it away with her bowl her bowl her bow and then she turns and hits Chloe with an arrow in the arm second knife slices her across the forehead 
and Clove tackles her and is pinning her to the ground. Um, she taunts her a lot, talking about how she's going to enjoy killing her, just like how they killed Rue. And just before Clove can finish Katniss off, Thresh comes in and lifts her off of Katniss and kills her um, with a rock. He asks Katniss what she meant about Rue, and Katniss explains how she and Rue were allies, and Thresh and Rue are from the same district, just in case you forgot. And Thresh lets her go, essentially. He says it was to make them even. So he lets her live, and Katniss decides that if she wants anybody to win, she wants it to be him, anybody else. So that's something that you don't see a lot in the games, is mercy, essentially. Another district tribute, letting another tribute live, that's not, that's not seen very often, but this just goes to show how with Katniss taking care of Rue and everything it not indebts others to her but it like I don't know how to put it it helps them be nicer to her you know kindness is repaid with kindness most times um she goes back to the cave with Peta and falls asleep and she, as she's waking up from her sleep, she kind of thinks that she's at home. But obviously she wakes up to find herself still in the cave with Peta. And he looks fine. The medicine worked and he's recovering really well. But the game makers have also decided to make it storm outside. So they are confined to the cave, which makes food very scarce for them because they can't go hunt or anything. Katniss and Peta talk a lot. She tells him about Thresh and Rue and how she had to kill the boy from District 1. And she doesn't want anyone else to have to die. And she thinks that if they weren't in the games, Thresh would have been a friend. They would have been really well good friends. Um. So they talk some more, and Peta tells her that on the far side of the circle, beyond the cornucopia, I think basically opposite to where they are, is a field of grass where Thresh hides. Peta sees it really only as a threat, the, where Thresh is. Um, they ration their food, and the rain continues, hunting and gathering. That's not going to happen in this deluge. Deluge? Deluge? however you say it. But Katniss knows that if they flirt well enough, Hamish will reward them for that. So she tries to lay it on thick, but it doesn't come as easily to her as it seems to come to Peta. Keep that in mind. That's very, that's very interesting to me. Katniss is just acting and it's not easy for her either. But eventually she does find herself truly worried about losing Peta being without him, and when they kiss, she feels her heart stir for him. So maybe she is starting to fall in love a little bit. And then they go to sleep. They wake up hungry, and Katniss knows that they're going to have to give it a little bit more in order to get food. So she asks Peta about when his crush first started on her. 
and he goes into a long story about how it was the first day of school and Katniss sang. It's a whole story, and it's it got the hearts of the Capitol people. Let me tell you that. I think. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, and immediately they are rewarded with a basket of food sent down on a silver parachute. Something that's interesting is I can I think that Katniss can really tell that there are prying eyes everywhere. They're not getting a moment of privacy in the games. And so she has to work hard to disguise her true emotions in order to survive, which is what all of this is about. So I, I thought that was interesting that she's having to mask so that she can survive. Um, Katniss and Peeta try to pace themselves so that they don't get sick on the food that Hamish sent. And they talk about what it would be like if they win, getting to live in the Victor's Village back in District 12, and wondering about how Hamish won the games. And they decide that he must have used wit. And the thought of her having to train tributes from District 12 disgusts her. She does not like that. And lo and behold, that night... Thresh's picture appears in the sky, and he dead. He died. He's dead. Uh, Cato, I think, is who killed him. And you know she doesn't want the people of Penem to see her upset about his death, so she hides her face so that she can like feel something for once. So she thinks, so Peter wakes her up, and so it's, I guess, a new day. I don't know what time he woke her up. Oh, well, it's still night, actually, because she can see the moon, and she's wondering if it's the real moon, and if she's really been gone from home for an entire month. Because I guess, I guess you can't really keep track of time that well in the games. And she thinks about going home, and how she would live, and how, what she would do in the Victor's Village, because she wouldn't really have to go hunting, and that's all she ever did, you know? So that was something that occupied her mind for a little bit. And she also decides that she doesn't want to ever have kids because even though she would be a victor, her kids would still go in the pool to be pulled for the reaping. <clears throat> and then they, the rain has stopped and they go to hunt, but Peta's still injured and he's still dealing with that. So his loudness... His noise scares away all of the prey, so they decide to separate, and he goes and gathers things while Katniss hunts, and I think that was a bad idea, but I guess you gotta do what you gotta do. <clears throat> they have a little bird whistle to signal to one another that they're okay, and Peter doesn't answer, so Katniss goes to find him, and she yells at him for not answering her call and for eating some of their food while she was away. Because she notices that some of the cheese has gone from their pile. Peter says he didn't eat the food, but offers some berries to Katniss. And she examines them. <clears throat> As she does, she recalls her father's words about these berries. And she deduces, that's a big word, that they're nightlock and extremely poisonous. And then a cannon sounds and Foxface is lifted away. Katniss explains to Peter that Foxface is his kill, 
because she stole some of their food and she poisoned herself with the night moth. So at this point, we can kind of tell that Foxface had just given up. She knew, in my personal opinion, she knew full well that those were Nightlock and that they were going to kill her. But when you're up against Katniss and Peeta and Kato, I I can't say that I would do anything different than what she did. And Peeta feels bad about unintentionally killing her. And she realizes that she hasn't been nice to Peeta at all. So when they go back to the cave, Katniss, like, I guess I keep saying she lays it on thick, but she really does. And apologizes and everything. And she's glad to have him there. And she's comforted by the fact that they can be together, you know. She thinks about Cato while Peta sleeps, and she kind of evaluates him and the pros and cons and his strengths and weaknesses, essentially. And she decides that he has really been her biggest opponent all along, that the games have been just leading up to the moment that she and Cato will have to meet and fight. And then the next morning, Katniss is pretty certain that the audience is growing weary you know there's not been a lot of action aside from whatever Cato did to Thresh which was like two days ago at this point and Foxface's kill wasn't very exciting you know and they want to see more blood so the game makers drive them together by draining all of the ponds except for the lake that's in the middle by the cornucopia um they circle the cornucopia to make sure that Cato isn't hiding there, and then they wait. Katniss sings Rue's song to the Mockingjays, and they answer. Peta says she sounds like her father, which the comparisons between Katniss and father throughout this entire book are just ironic to me. And then there is a shriek from the birds, and Cato emerges from the woods, sprinting towards them near the cornucopia. Uh, Katniss hits him, but it bounces off whatever armor he has, which I don't think they included that in the movies, and I really think they should have. I really think that that would have been a cool addition, and I'm I'm pretty sure they didn't. Cato sprints past Katniss and Peeta, which is weird. You know, if you're going to kill somebody, you don't exactly pass them. And then she sees that he's running from creatures, from something in the woods. So a little analysis of this chapter is that Katniss admits to having true feelings for Pina, something she hasn't done before. And that's weird for her because, you know, it's been an act this whole time. Um, and she clearly states that she, the kiss that she plants on Pina's forehead is for her and not for the audience. So now Cato is with them, but he's being chased from something that will no doubt willingly kill all of them, which is not an option. There has to be a winner. And so Katniss can see that the creatures are mutts, and from a distance they look like wolves, but they're able to balance on their hind legs, kind of like people. She starts following Cato, 
and starts climbing the cornucopia when she remembers Peta has a hurt leg and she can't he can't climb. He lags behind and she's shooting arrows at the creatures trying to get them to leave Peta alone. But Peta tells her to climb and so she does. Once at the top, I can imagine that once I got there I'd be like, "Dang it, now I have to fight Kato, who's a skilled fighter, but he is not in a good condition on the top so she doesn't have to worry about him for a second because Peta still needs her help so she's shooting um the creatures and then she helps Peta get up the metal side and she gets a better look at the creatures um they have razor sharp claws and they're able to spring very high off the ground and but she thinks there's something weird about them And lo and behold, Katniss realizes that they each represent one of the dead tributes. Their fur color matching the tribute's hair, their eyes the very same, and the numbers around their neck, kind of like collars, are corresponding to the districts from which they came. She sees Rue, and that kind of causes her to have a bit of a pause for a minute. So they keep... They keep leaping at the tributes on top, and one of them is able to grab Peta's leg, which obviously is kind of an issue. He is bleeding profusely. I think his calf is where it is, and so, you know, he's he's got a couple issues now. And then Kato recovers and grabs Peta in a headlock. So she Katniss sees his armor, but his head is exposed. Peta, who is getting suffocated and is bleeding out of his leg um, creates an X on Kato's hand because his hand wasn't covered by the armor and the shock causes Kato to fall off of the cornucopia and apparently his armor protects him for a while but you know it can only do so much against something that the capital has created um, so they spend the night on top of a cornucopia, it's freezing, Peta is bleeding out, and Kato is still being torn apart throughout the night, and she just wants it to stop. She feels pity, and she just wants it to stop. And then, out of pity, in the morning, she uses her last arrow to end his life, so that he doesn't have to suffer under the mutts anymore. The cannons fire, and the mutts retreat. But Kat, Peta and Katniss have to put space between their body and their bodies and the tribute's bodies. So they go down to the lake to clean off, get some water. And then Claudius Templesmith announces that the earlier revision to the games about two tributes has been revo- revoked and that only one tribute can win. Peta pulls out his knife, and Katniss immediately points her arrow at his heart, but he just tosses his knife into the lake, which I would be like, oh, oh, oops, I'm sorry, I was just about to kill you, it's fine. And he tells her to kill him, which, you know, good guy, underdog, but she realizes that she, she could not do that, she couldn't leave without him. So she remembers the nightlock berries and offers them to him. They both take a handful. And on the count of three, they pop them in their mouth. And as soon as they're in their mouth, 
Claudius Templesmith comes over and tells them to stop frantically and that they're both winners. So they did it. They beat the system. Chapter 26. They both immediately spit out the berries and are rinsing their mouths with water as cheers from the capital are played by the loudspeakers. Uh, Hovercraft drops a ladder for them, and once they are on board, the doctors take Peta away to begin surgery. Uh, Katniss is, like, pounding on the glass and screaming his name. And she calls out for him desperately, because she doesn't want to be away from him. And then they're taken back to the training center, center, and Katniss is sedated. When she wakes, it seems that days have passed. Um, she's restrained to the bed, but she is also calmed by the sight of the red-headed Avox girl, who brings her some food. Katniss asks about Peta, and the Avox girl nods that he's alive. Katniss just thinks about how she can't wait to get home, and how she's ready for the victor's banquet to be over, and so she can move on with her life. She cycles through periods of wakefulness and unconsciousness until she hears a man's voice shouting, presumably Haymitch, and she feels protected. And then she awakes and she's no longer restrained. She changes into fresh clothes and she goes to meet her team. And that's a whole reunion, you know. And then they take her away to prepare her for the banquet. When she meets up with her team, we can see that Haymitch does legitimately care about her and how that's character development I mean we thought he hated her but he really does care about her and so does Effie and Cinna of course and then she goes to get ready they completely like clean her and they free her of scars and her hearing has been fixed in her left ear She's very skinny, and the dress that Cinna gives her has been padded to give her more curves, and she hates it. But Cinna explains that the game makers wanted to alter her surgically, but Hamish would not allow it, which I think is good. And the dress is yellow, and it makes her glow as if she's candlelight. That's how she explains it. It's very poetic. Just before Katniss goes before the audience, Hamish gives her a hug and tells her that the Capitol is not exactly happy with her for her decision to make them look like a joke with the Barry stunt. And her only defense can be that she was so madly in love with Peta that she didn't care about how her actions might reflect the Capitol. Um, Peta apparently has not been told about this. And that gets interesting later once Katniss finds out. Um, and then she has to go and do the, um, the thing. What is it called? The banquet, I guess. I don't know. She has to go do the thing <laughs> with Peta. That's very concise. And she sees Peta on stage for the first time, and he looks healed and healthy. Katniss runs into him, his arms, and they, they kiss in front of the entire audience, and it's romantic, and they're in love, and blah, blah, blah. And then Caesar Flickerman has to get them to stop kissing. And then Katniss, they go sit together on a small sofa, and 
<laughs> Katniss tucks her feet underneath herself and rests her head on Peter's shoulder, which I would feel personally so uncomfortable doing that in front of an audience. That just is weird to me. But I guess you have to do what you have to do when the people who could kill you in a second flat are very angry with you. They watch the recap, which has been shaped into a love story, and Katniss gets to witness, for the first time, how Pieta worked to save her from the start, by misleading the careers, and then staying awake the whole night, and she feels like she's heartless in comparison, until she calls out Pieta's name after the announcement, and she goes and finds him and nurses him back to health. President Snow emerges and places the crowns on the victor's head. And although he is smiling, there is murder in his eyes. He is not happy with her at all. And even though he doesn't say anything, you can, you can tell. And then they go back to the training center and Katniss finds that her door has been locked from the outside. And she is once again just a prisoner of the capital. And then the next morning, they reunite for their final interviews with Caesar Flickerman, who might be one of my favorite characters in this entire book. I think Caesar Flickerman is hilarious. So they sit together to do this interview, and Caesar asks them about their budding romance. Katniss tries to deflect all the answers to Peeta, but, you know, eventually she's gonna have to talk. And then she finds out that Peta actually lost his leg, and she gets her first look at his prosthetic leg. They should have kept that in the movie. I'm kind of mad about that. I feel like that would have been awesome if that were still in the movie, you know? And then they all go home, <laughs> and they're on the train. Katniss changes, and she feels as though she's kind of transforming back into herself, her District 12 self. And she wonders more and more about who she is and what she'll say to Gale when she sees him. So the train stops for fuel and Katniss walks with Peta along the tracks, past the end of the train. And he learns that Katniss doesn't really know how she feels about him, which I think is a load of bull. I think she very much knows how she feels about him at this point, but <laughs> she's just not willing to talk about it, I suppose. And how most of what she said and did were just to keep them alive and wasn't actually an act out of love, like all of his acts. And then Peta gets upset and quarantines himself in his room until they pull into District 12. And even then, he reaches out his hand for Katniss and... It's just an act for him now. It's like the roles have... It's... Oh my goodness. It's like they've switched. That's crazy. Didn't think about that. Wow. And Katniss knows that she's losing him. So basically... <laughs> the last part of that book was kind of a roller coaster from start to finish. And... They're just more confused, you know? Katniss... Katniss loves him. I'm not team, um, team Everlark, but whatever. And she knows that, but after trying to explain it all to him, 
he feels betrayed, I guess. And so he's got to go act like a four-year-old instead of talking things through like a mature person would. Um, but whatever. I guess I'm, I'm biased towards Gail. I like Gail much better than I like PETA. And not everybody agrees with me on that. But I like Gail better than PETA. So basically, we're not actually left on a cliffhanger, in my opinion. This isn't really a cliffhanger. They're victors, Capital is mad with her, and they're home. You know, that's not really a, a um, cliffhanger to me, you know? So this book is one of my favorites. This is a great book, in my opinion. I have read it multiple times, though, so I am getting a little, not tired of it, but I think it's a great book um, that goes to illustrate how the government doesn't actually care about the little peoples, and it's all a control thing, a power thing. So I think this is a great book. Uh, that's where we left off, and we just there's so much character development that has happened and that is still to come, you know, in the next two books. So, yeah. I think that's my end review on that. And that was just kind of a walkthrough, too, if you didn't read it. Um, thank you for listening to all of that, all 30 minutes of that. And I did say that I have an announcement to make. I now have an Instagram account for something about pineapples. It is something underscore about pineapples. So you should go follow me on there. Um, I will be posting updates and I will also be doing polls on there. So basically everything that was happening on my personal Instagram is now going to be happening on that Instagram account. So polls about what books to read thoughts that I have, what I'm currently reading, things like that are now going to be uploaded there instead of my personal account. So you should go follow me on Instagram if you like this. And if you don't, that's fine. That is totally your choice. So thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts about this book, please let me know. And make sure to tune into my Instagram account to see what book we'll be reading next if we're going to continue with this trilogy, or if we're going to read something else. Thanks for listening. Bye!